Yeah. Praise the Lord. Be bad if a sound man can't turn on his own mic. <laughs> it would be bad, yeah. Not that it hasn't ever happened. Okay. Yep, we're hooked. Okay. Good. Well, praise the Lord. It's always good to be back with our TCF family and to see everybody. We saw a number of you at the beginning. This is the end of our trip. At the beginning of our trip in the Piccolo House Church was had a uh, a lot of people and a lot of food. <laughs> and, and so some of you will hear some things again, but not everything. And those who weren't here, uh, before I get into something else, we have new prayer cards with, as my wife says, an old picture. And you know, it's a newer picture. We're older. But uh, <laughs> an older picture, right? So there's, there, actually there's still some out on the table uh, by the kitchen. And I'm going to leave some right down here so you can pick them up at either place, anybody who's interested. And there will still be some more around uh, that Bill will have and either left over. Well, slide that out. That was the Great Wall of China, if nobody recognized it. Mutian Yu, the best place to visit. No tourists in the morning. <laughs> so... I don't even know where to start. It was right, 40 years. Uh, in, in February of this year, the 26th, made exactly 40 years that we crossed the border for the first time into Honduras, February 26, 1976. And uh, so, yeah, 40, four decades, 42 years in marriage and missions. And uh, it's, it's been a, uh, a walk. There's, before I even start, what I, there was one, in one of our... Um, the churches we visit in Dallas, the guy said, he said, I'd like you to speak about some of the some of the things you guys have faced as a couple and as a family and how you have kept on going through that. And I told him when I got there, I said, well, uh, the deal is we didn't think about stopping. <laughs> I mean, we didn't think this is as far as we got. We When Mary Lou got sick, uh, you know, Nathan had lymphoma last year. A lot of you and I were praying for that. He's, his, his latest exam was all clear, and he'll be having those periodically, as you all know. But but uh, he, I said, you know, it's like we don't want to stop here. We don't want to live here. We want to keep going, and we will continue to serve the Lord as long as we're able. And uh, you know, like I've said before, I think here too is that we all are called to serve the Lord with all of our might. As we get older, we have a little bit less might, but we still serve the Lord with all of our might. You know, it's what it's what we're called to do. And God knows that we don't have the endurance that we had when we were twenty or 22, and, and, uh, uh, but still we're called to serve the Lord with all of our might. And as we get older, we find that we choose what we're going to do more carefully because we look for things that will bear fruit and because we don't have energy to do things that won't. <laughs> and also we hopefully are a little bit wiser and we can choose a little bit better and say, well, that's not really going to bear fruit that I'd like to see. So praise the Lord. You know, we've been in Honduras for all this time. Uh, we've, we've worked at a lot of things. Over the years, TCF has been involved uh, since the very early 80s. We were here in 81, 82, and uh, actually uh, was baptized at TCF at Edison High School back in, and, you know, in, in 1973. And uh, so there's, but there's, there's, so we have a long history of, 
uh, with, with TCF and with the family and with the people, and it's always a blessing to be here. Over the years, we've done a lot of things as we worked in church development as the church grew in Honduras. And from about 4.5% roughly when we got there in 1976 to somewhere around 23% on Joshua Project, uh, if you look nowadays. Uh, there's some people who claim 35% or some people who claim 51%. Simply not true, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, I think Joshua Project and IMB are probably a little bit more realistic. Uh, but the... the the, but still, tremendous growth during what some people call the Latin American Refor Reformation. When in Latin America, in most countries in Latin America, there was a tremendous growth and uh, revival in the churches. More people came to Christ in, that, in those two decades, uh, from about uh, 1980 to the year 2000, than in most any revival in history. And, and there was, there was uh, a tremendous growth, and we, the churches began to grow we you know, produce our own materials, and we were able to be part of that. Uh, Christian radio, and we were able to be part of that. Developing ch organized children's ministries, and we were able to, Mary Lou and I were able to be part of that, especially Mary Lou. A whole number of things. But lately, we've, we've seen all those things were visions of the churches, not something we tried to graft on. And since it was their vision, it was their investment, they invested in those things, and, and, and we, as we trained people, we were able to get out of that and the churches maintained it because it was their vision. And often, unfortunately, you see sometimes a missionary goes in and tries to do something he wants to do, and when he leaves, it falls apart because it was never the local church's vision. So he's always believed in, in working with the local church's visions. And now we're, we're focused mostly on preparing people for different areas. Mary Lou works mostly in the local churches, when discipleship materials, discipleship classes, and I work now interdenominationally with a group of, of, of people uh, and also a group of churches who are working towards mobilizing the Honduran churches for missions. So, you know, when we think about the nations and missions, and we were talking about the, you know, the unreached people, we were talking about people with no translation, Wycliffe. And, and different groups that are working in Bible translation. Latin Americans are getting popular for, to include on Wycliffe teams and, and, and other translation teams uh, uh, because they realize that teamwork works best rather than like uh, some doctorate in missions off in the jungle trying to translate the Bible by himself. Doctorate, I'm human linguistics, I meant to say. Because culturally, Latin Americans are relational. And so they're good uh, members of the team to get out there and practice what the, what the guy is writing down, you know, what the linguist is writing down. They don't have to be linguists. They're just culturally relational. And so they're, they're a good member of a team to help develop and make sure that what they're learning is the right way and to say it in the right understanding. So there's opportunities. That's just one opportunity for missions. But, you know, when Jesus, I find something interesting. We're in a political year, obviously, if you haven't noticed. Uh, yeah, we're lucky. We get to leave the country. But, 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 uh, uh, if somebody wants to do something, all the political action committees and everything, they don't set up their headquarters, you know, in, in, in Slap Out, Oklahoma or someplace. There is actually a place called Slap Out. And, uh, you know, and that's not where they set up their headquarters. They go to Washington, D.C. That's where they set up their headquarters because that's where the national government is based. Well, have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't set up in Jerusalem, but he set up in Capernaum. 
That was headquarters for Jesus in Capernaum. Matthew, if you want to write down the scriptures, Matthew 4, 12 and 13. When Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Nephthali. Or Nephthali, as we would say in, English, in Spanish. And uh, he went and, st- and set himself in a little town on the shores of Galilee. And he did it for a reason. Partly it was prophesied that he would do so. And Matthew points that out. Luke gives us some more details. You know, in Nazareth, he had gone to Nazareth, and he went to the synagogue, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And all that, you know, the story that we know, when, he, when they handed the book of Isaiah, and everybody was speaking well of him, until he said something that sort of got them, they were all in favor until he said something that got them all in, against him. So, you know, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, you know, but... He didn't go to any of them, sent to none of them except uh, Zarephath in the land of Sidon, you know, a, a Gentile. And, so, you know, there was, there was a lot of lepers in the days of Elisha, but Naaman was the one that was healed, the Gentile. And that caused them to want to take him out and throw him off a cliff. And he, so he left Nazareth and went to Capernaum. Well, what was Jesus' purpose? He wasn't there just to restore the kingdom of Israel. He knew that all people, that the blessing of Abraham was to get all nations. And this is what we're telling. Well, I'll get to that. (laughs) He didn't want to just reach Jews and restore the kingdom of Israel. That wasn't his only mission. Or he probably would have gone to Jerusalem. But he went to Capernaum in Galilee. It was called Prophet Isaiah called it Galilee of the Gentiles. Because if you look on a map, Syria and the Decapolis and, and uh, uh, Sidon, everything was right around there. Everything was all surrounded by Gentiles. And that's where he set up his, his, his ministry. And you see it was, th- it was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. And it, what happened was exactly that. Gentiles were following from everywhere. We read in Matthew, he says, the news about him spread throughout all Syria, still Matthew 4, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So there was, there was a mix of Gentiles and Jews following him in these big crowds. And he was right there in the, in, in amidst, among the nations. So he knew that his message was for the nations. We think he did. He wasn't there. He didn't. He was not unaware of what had happened, of what was. I mean, what he was there for. And Isaiah nine is the passage that a lot of us might remember. Is where it says, "Unto us a son is given." Later on in the passage, but the very first part is a prophecy about where the land of Zebulun and Ephrathah was, was that the Lord had treated with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see great light. Those who live in dark land, in a dark land, the light will shine on them. I believe that he was talking about the Gentile nations lived in darkness, and there would be a light shining there 
in Galilee of the Gentiles. So this was a despised land, but God was going to make it glorious by establishing the Messiah's ministry there. But what? that's nothing more than what God had already said to Abraham. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know, sometimes <laughs> we, we pray for the unreached. And, you know, we're working, we're praying for the unreached. And we're, you know, the, but we're not sending to the unreached. We need to pray for the unreached. But if no one goes, the unreached, we're going to remain unreached. So we have this large group in Latin America. Now you see where I'm getting to. We have this large group of Christians, hundreds of millions of Christians in Latin America, hundred and, I shouldn't say hundreds, a little less than 200 million Christians, evangelical Christians in Latin America, who are not unreached, but they are unsent. You have in Honduras, you look on some statistics and you see 140 or 180 missionaries sent from Honduras. But when you start to do real counting, you find that you can probably less than 50, maybe less than 30, who are real cross-cultural missionaries. Some of them are, are transplanted pastors, like they're Hondurans who are pastoring Hondurans in the United States or pastoring Hondurans in Spain, or they've moved to Guatemala or Ecuador or, 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 or Costa Rica, and they're Hondurans, and they count them as a missionary. But they're not really... It's not a missionary in the sense that they're reaching the unreached. Some of them, like I said, are transplanted pastors. Some of them are working. It's not that it's wrong. I'm not saying that God didn't call them to do that. I'm just saying we need to take a hard look at the statistics. And in the United States, there's approximately 90 million evangelicals. Those 90 million evangelicals send approximately 45,000 missionaries. That's one missionary for every 2,000 evangelicals. So it's pathetic honestly, considering the resources that this country has and that the church has, you know, to spend about half a cent per, per dollar. The problem is, you talk to a church like ECF that's, on the, that's, that's, that's what, one of the churches that's counterbalancing the whole thing. You know, if there weren't churches like ECF, it'd be worse, let me tell you. you know? So I'm sort of, sort of like I'm preaching to the choir, but what I'm getting at is Jesus came to reach all nations, but he also called to send all nations. And in Honduras... In other countries in Latin America, people are beginning to wake up and say, wait a minute, the, gospel, the Great Commission is also not just to us, it's also for us. You know, for, for decades, for over 100 years, there are missionaries who have been going to Honduras since about 1894 or 5, the very first missionaries. And it didn't grow much during the first almost 100 years, 80 years, 90 years, and then suddenly the Lord opened up, you know, when... When Joel was talking about an outpouring of the Spirit, I thought, don't just think about America. Don't just think about America. Be careful. Remember, there's a whole world of believers out here, and God needs to pour out His Spirit not just to make our political situation better or our lives better, but because the last of the unreached are not going to be reached if the whole church doesn't get involved in the process. The whole body of Christ in the whole world. It's time has passed for us to think that each denomination or each mission agency is going to do their thing separately. And if we don't do this together, 
the last and most difficult places to reach are not going to be reached. I really believe that. I really do. So we, we have to work together. And we have to, uh, we have to collaborate and join our gift, different giftings and get this job done. There's, it's, it's a time that God is doing things, not just in Latin America. And so, you know, let me talk a little bit here. So we work in different things as we, as we have discipleship, uh, praise and worship. And there we go. And, uh, you know, some of the things that I wanted to mention that you guys have been participating in, which is uh, the, the, let me do this again. There we go. Some of you, did you show these? Uh, Bill? Some of them? Yeah, so TCF has a direct fruit in some of this. This is why I want to, I mean, just besides, not just us, but for example, this is the, uh, the government hospital uh, pediatric rehab center. Yeah, it's upstairs from the rehab center where Mary Lou's done a lot of her uh, physical therapy work and stuff. And because of that, her being there, that caused a door to be opened for us to minister there. And as you can see, we got a room full of kids. Some of them are kids that are, some of the kids that are sitting down couldn't get back up without help. You know, I mean, they, some of them, there's all kinds of disabilities. Uh, some are just little babies. Uh, some walk with cane, crutches, wheelchairs. I mean, we all know what, it, what, but there's, and some of these children are children of the staff who wanted to come. So we present the gospel with puppets and some simple dramas because we're mainly working with children and uh, always give them a chance to, to pray with them and respond. And the, the, we still can get into schools with different kinds of sim similar outreach uh, in classes in Honduras. If the director of the school is open, we can get in. We don't have really any, any the central government doesn't really try to monitor things in that area. So if the director of a local, of a, even if it's a public school, says, yeah, I'd like you guys to come in and talk to my students, you can get in. And Mary Lou took some time talk with just the teachers of the school while our other members of the church were in each classroom talking with the students. And later we had a, in a different outreach, same school, we had an outreach with all the people in the evening and the nighttime classes. And with the puppets and the dramas and all the kids out in an open patio area. And, and so we work in teaching still. We're working with uh, this particular, I'm talking about how to pray for the nations. And we are starting, we're encouraging all of the churches in the, to get involved in praying for a different unreached ethnic group every week. And we're working on building a, well, I left 12 weeks ready to go before we came up for the six-week trip. But, uh, and we're working on encouraging churches to focus on a people group uh, for three months, six months, or for a year to focus on a people group and have focused prayer on a people group. And so we're teaching about missions. We're teaching this is time. This is the Honduras' time. This is the time God has called. Last year we were at the Garifuna Christian Conference. This is held once a year. Last year was the 25th anniversary. Uh, so it started 25 years ago, well, 26 this year. And they held it in the same town that they held the very first one. And uh, a friend of ours, a good friend of ours, was a pioneer missionary among the Garifuna in Belize. And... He was one of the invited to be one of the speakers, 
and the one that was pioneer missionary in this town was also one of the speakers. And since they've been gone for a while and they don't remember much Spanish and everything, they weren't comfortable preaching in Spanish or Garifuna, they asked me to come and be a translator. But I've been talking with the Garifuna people for quite some time. When we went to Honduras, the Garifuna were an unreached people group in Honduras. There was only two books of the Bible translated. There were very few believers. And they were, they were unreached. There was just, it was still a group that was, and honestly, Honduran pastors told me, oh, there will never be a church among the Garifuna. They're just too unstable. You know, they come to church, but as soon as the drums and the music start, they're gone. You know, They go out and they drink and they dance. and they Actually, they, that's what they call it. It's called Duga. It's their spiritist ceremony. And they use drums to call the spirits. And they, and they drink and the women dance into a frenzy. <laughs> and it's a spiritist ceremony. Well, we were there 25 years ago. Uh, our friend Steve Shanks said, when we did this first one, there was 30 people 25 years ago. So this, then last year, after 25 years, this is the inside the church. Of course, that will not hold 1,000 people. Uh, but in the park on Saturday night, in the vacant lot in front of the church, we had about 1,000 people. And so God has done, people said, oh, the God even can't be reached. But God said, I will redeem for myself a people from among the God even. So we need to remember that the unreached is, are not unreached because they are unreachable. God himself wants to raise up a people from every tongue, tribe, language, or nation. God wants to raise up a people, and he will do it, and he's called us to be part of it. And I talked to the God funny leaders, and I said, listen. 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you were an unreached people group. And I tell them what people told me about the Gadif, and they just shake their head and laugh. They say, it was true. It was true. <laughs> you know, there weren't, it was hard to be a faithful Christian back in those early days. During the early years, they didn't play drums in the church. People said, Steve told me, he said, I told him, why don't you use your own instrument, the drums? He said, no. The drums are used to call the spirits. And we don't want the people outside the church to think that all we did was come inside the church and call the spirits in here. So we're not going to use drums. But over these years, you know, that was in the late 70s, early 80s, now they've included, they've integrated the drums back in to their music. All the songs they sang when we were there, all we could do was just sort of hum along because we didn't know the words or the music because they have their own worship music. And when, <laughs> when they sing in Garifuna, it's from out of their heart, man, and they start moving, and it's just... Uh, it's just a tremendous experience. But, okay, so God has done this among the Garifuna. And I said, so you need to go somewhere and say, look, 30 years ago, someone came to us and told us about Jesus, and now we're here to tell you about Jesus. So it's your turn now. God is calling you. This is not just, oh, great, now there's a lot of Garifuna believers. This is, there's a reason God raised up a people among the Garifuna. It's because he has a place for them in the nations to go to the unreached. Most of them are descendants of West African, a Spanish slave ship that wrecked on the island of St. Vincent back in the 1700s, and they intermarried with the Karabarak Indians, and most of them, uh, they were deported at one point <laughs> and sailed to Honduras. A lot of them was their own type of trail of tears. A lot of them died in that voyage. Uh, they shipped away the blackest ones. 
because they were the ones that gave the most trouble to the colonial government. And the ones that were more Arawak Indian looking, they, they stayed there. So there's a few Garifuna still on St. Vincent, but most are in Honduras, and then some in Belize, and then a few in Guatemala, Nicaragua, New York City, and Houston. <laughs> so so, so uh, how many of you know the great bass player that played with Integrity Music and heard of him, Abraham Laboreal? He's Garifuna. His father moved to Mexico, but he still has family in Honduras, and he sometimes at the Garifuna Conference in New York, he'll show up at the Kirshen Conference. And, uh, so Laboriel is a, is a Garifuna last name, surname. So we're working to tell people, you know, listen, God has called you to be part of the Great Commission. He has called you to take the blessing of Abraham to the nations. Honduras is a reached nation, but it's not a sent nation. So we want to send, we want to mobilize the unsent to go to the unreached. And we need to collaborate with each other. We need to work together. We need to mobilize the churches. So that's my main area of, of ministry uh, now is in mobilizing the churches. And one of, the, one of the things you work with, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Kairos course. And it's, a, it's a, the course that was used in the Philippines in the 90s called the Condiz Course on World Mission when it started out to mobilize the Philippine church, which now there's over 20,000 Filipinos out as missionaries. All of the unreached people groups in the Philippines have someone working in them when they didn't when this, when in the 90s. So there's still unreached people groups in the Philippines, but they all have someone at least someone working in every unreached people group in the Philippines. And it's become international. Uh, SIM, the missionary agency SIM, is working to bring this into a lot of nations, about 38 to 40 nations now. In Honduras, the first nation in Central America to, uh, to start doing the Kairos course. And I joined forces with them to, because it's a mobilization course, for, especially for leaders. It works best in, in, in Honduras to do it as a seminar for leaders. Uh, and we, so we, people get together, and we do a five-day course and go through the nine sessions. If it's part of the Perspectives family. As if you look on Perspectives website and look at the other courses, it'll say it's part of the Perspectives family. There's some stuff in here that's from Perspectives and some that's not from Perspectives. But uh, uh, so I became a Kairos facilitator, and we work with people. And so there's, you know, there's uh, a number of, this is the, <laughs> the Pentecostal Church of God from Tennessee in Honduras is called the Pentecostal Church of America. It's the same, but it's the same denomination. And they have decided that all of their pastors in the country, close to 100 pastors, are going to all go through the Kairos course because they want all their denomination to mobilize for missions. And so we have uh, everybody all mixed up here. We have Baptists. We have Central American Mission. Just to give you an idea of where the Central American Mission is on conservative, it was the one that was founded by C.I. Schofield and uh, one of the founders. Yeah. So, and, and Pentecostals, we're all working together to say the Honduran church, the believers in Honduras have to get together and mobilize for missions. I say to people, I say, you know, do you think that 2,000 Hondurans can support one missionary? Uh, well, you know, well, yeah, of course. 
I mean, that would be like less than a dollar per person per month. And I said, yeah. Do you think that's possible? And they said, oh, 1,000 could do that. I said, you realize in the United States, 2,000 do that? I said, I'm not saying that that's an excuse for you, but you need to get a vision of the possible. God is not asking for a rich church. All he's asking for an obedient church, for a generous church. God does wonders with a generous church. And, and I mean, you know, we always say sometimes people pray in Honduras. They say, Lord, multiply this offering. It's like, Lord, he's not going to counterfeit the money if you don't give, you know. But, but, he's, but, but the, when people are generous, God can do miracles. I mean, he will do miracles is what I should better say. He will do miracles. When people are generous, he will do miracles. The Honduran churches, the Latin American churches are entirely capable of sending missionaries. And, and uh, there's, you know, there are, throughout history, even today, the number one church, the last time I looked, per capita, sending missionaries, is Mongolia. One missionary for every 220 believers. There's only about 70,000 believers. It's not like thousands and thousands of missionaries. But because the church was founded in the 90s with a missionary vision, they started doing it from the very beginning. It's a little harder to graft it in <laughs> later, it seems. You know, we, we have churches that now have over a century of doing nothing but receiving from American missions. And they, they want to build a church, and they contact the mission. And they want to you know, build a classroom, and they contact the mission. And... So a number of denominations like this, is, it's, it's one thing to go and say, you know, you guys, you can do this. You can do this. First, you need to believe it's what God is calling you to do. So that's what one of the things that the Kairos course is about. You know, the tallest person has to take the selfie, right? So that's why I'm front and center there uh, holding up a full-length tripod, you know, on, with, a, with a camera on it. Uh, to get it far away, far enough away to take to get this course in Tegucigalpa, and so we'll we'll be working with that. Another thing that we're, is is the commission course, which is this book here, and this is a book that was uh, originally written in English. Marv Newell, and he was a missionary in the in uh, Papua New Guinea back in the late seventies and eighties, and I have all the permissions set up to print and distribute this version in Latin America. So we've, we've, this is a course to take inside the churches where people in the churches, you can use it in a science school class, you can use it in, in household or home fellowships, you can use it with a youth group, however it's really flexible. And we're trying to, our goal is to create some synergy. Those who do the commission course, we're going to promote the Kairos course. Those who do the Kairos course, I, get to, I have some time at the end, and I say, I talk about the commission course, and I tell everybody this is something you can take to your, back to your churches. You've been here in a week, and you have captured a vision for missions, and you go back to your churches and, and, and say, you know, here I have, we have something to do here. And we're working on uh, getting more materials ready. We want to have an abundance of materials. We want to have it facilitate the materials. Not that it's easy to do the courses, but that there, no one can say, I couldn't find a way to train my church. So we need to have all kinds of levels of materials for people who are just starting, like what is missions about? Can we actually do it? On through uh, fully understanding what God's purpose is. Because God's purpose for the church in the whole world is not different. It's not different for the American church than for the Honduran church or the Philippine church. Someday, you know, someday someone is going to say, 
in some unreached people group somewhere, Central Asia, South Asia, Africa. There are still unreached people groups in southern Mexico, difficult to reach in Chiapas, in Oaxaca. Of all Latin American, well, maybe except for Brazil, of all the Spanish-speaking countries, Mexico has the largest number of unreached people groups. And the, the someone is going to say, if those people came from, had not come from Honduras, we would not know Jesus. Because it's what God is calling us to do. It's what God is calling the church to do. I'm just, I'm, we can be part of it, you know. And so we, we work and we, and we train and we're talking about, you know, what Jesus has called his church to do. It's the reason we were redeemed. Galatians 3 when it talks about the blessing of Abraham, I sort of skipped over some stuff I was going to say, but that's okay. Uh, Galatians 3, it's just coming out of my heart. Galatians 3 says, you know, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. In order that, so that's the reason we were redeemed, so that to take the blessing on to others, to the blessing of being reconciled with God, justified through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, any of us who were around Pentecostal churches and everything in our early years would remember, you know, the song, Abraham's blessings are mine. You know, and, and it was all focused inward. Uh, you know, and, and, and we were all talking about all the stuff we got with Abraham's blessings. But actually, come to find out, Abraham's blessing is not about what we get, it's about what we give. Abraham's blessing is about what we take to others. Abraham's blessing needs to come to every people group in all the world. The only way it's going to happen is if somebody who already knows about Abraham's blessing goes and tells them. And that's, that's our vision. Mary Lou works in preparing people to serve and discipling believers from the time they're new believers on into a place of service and and, and, and fruitfulness in their life and in the church. Uh, I work in, in training people. Mary Lou's also training people uh, in mobilizing and in sending to the nations. And so we're, we're, we're not, I mean, we invest, of course, but we're not trying to do this ourselves. It's the same thing. We want the to, to, to vision to be awakened in the Honduran churches. And that for them to realize that just like they put in radio stations and developed their own discipleship materials and television and all the other things that they've done locally, they can do that. They can also invest and create an international outreach. They can send to the nations. They need to look outwards. One of the pastors that often hosts the Kairos course in, 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 uh, in San Pedro Sula, and he, he took it, and then he basically he just says, look, you know, can't find a place, use my church. To the course. And uh, so I said, Jorge Mario, I said, I, uh, pardon me, Jorge Mario is his name. I said, he's, I said, what, you know, what are you doing to mobilize the whole church? He said, well, you know, we were talking about it. He said, he said, you know, I wasn't, I had no idea about missions. He says, but the one thing that convinced me more than any other thing when I did the Kairos course was, now this is talking about his personal experiences, was that Honduras is already a reached country. We're not an unreached country. The church here is entirely capable of continuing its evang local evangelization efforts. 
that we need to focus on the unreached. And that was what really got him like, whoa. We need to quit thinking that Honduras, oh, there's so much need here. I tell people, you know, if it's about need, sorry, pack up, move to South and Central Asia, largest concentration of unreached people groups in the world, you know. And and, uh, between India and Central Asia, you know, India is going to surpass China in population before too long. Uh, probably, I, the last I heard, they were saying by 2025. But at the rate they're going, it may be quicker. Uh, I mean, it's the tr- tremendous population growth. Four times the population of the United States in one-third of the space, which is why when you see pictures of India and there's people everywhere, it's because there's people everywhere. And, uh, you know, you can, you can imagine taking four times the population of this entire country and putting it in one-third of the country. How many people per square mile or kilometer we would have. So there's a tremendous need, but need is not the reason we do this. Need is not the focus. We always have the needs in front of us, and the needs change. There's an earthquake here. There's a hurricane there. There's a tsunami, and we just get burnt out trying to chase the needs down. We do this because of the commandment. We do this because what's behind us, not what's in front of us, not because we see the need, but because we receive the word. We are to go into all the nations. So this is what, this is our motivation. You can sustain that motivation. That motivation has, is eternal, whereas the needs change from day to day. And, you know, unreached people groups become reached people groups. And suddenly the need is different. But the command is the same. The commission is the same. Well, I want to tell a little story here. Uh, this is our church in Gualaco. Olancho, Honduras, about 1981, uh, one of the last meetings we had in that church. And, you know, a small rural town, 1,500 people in the town, the only evangelical church in the town, two churches, Catholic church, evangelical church. And we had been there by this time about three years, started out with nobody, and there had been a church there, the building was there, but it had been closed for more than a year because the pastor had fallen into sin and everything left his wife, all kinds of problems, bad testimony. So we had a lot of thing, work to do when we got there. And uh, Matthew was born while we were out there. I flew Mary out in a, in a missionary aviation fellowship plane, came and got her and took her to a city where there would be a hospital and so on and so forth. But if you know, see Mary Lou's in the middle there, uh, you just one white face, right? <laughs> a little white face on the front row, Nathan. And Matthew's is probably, he's sitting on Mary Lou's lap, doesn't look like he's asleep. You can see a little blonde head there. But... One, among the people that are there is this set of families. And uh, the guy in front of the white post, uh, uh, Jose Colindres, showed up at church one day and he says, I saw that he was new. I mean, you know, it was easy to see a new person. And I went and talked to him afterwards. And I introduced myself and stuff. And he, said he opened, he had a Bible. And he said, I've been reading this. I don't understand what it means. Can you explain it to me? So he's my Ethiopian. And... and <laughs> And, and uh, I said, well, sure. And so I explained to him, and I said, well, can we come, and where are you from? He said, San Pedro de Gualaco. Can we go visit you? And he says, we set it up that, you know, visit on Friday, the next Friday. And uh, so when we went, he had three families together, all the in-laws, his brothers, and, and, and they were all together. And among the people that were there uh, were these two girls, of course, and, and they, the whole family. The, the taller girl is, is Nemia, and the shorter one is Felicia. Uh, shorter because she's younger, and <laughs> it's a little older than that now. But there, when, but when when we were there, I mean, 
she was seven the first time we went to her house. So she'd have been nine or close to ten by the time we left. But a few years back, I got a call on my phone. And the person says, is this Daniel Covington? And I said, yes, it is. I didn't say, yes, it is. I said, see. But anyways, but the... <laughs> and, and, and she... And she said, oh, this is, I'm Felicia Colindres from San Pedro de Gualacuil. I immediately knew what family she was from. Oh, I couldn't have never placed the face that many years later, 30 years later. And, and, she, and, uh, and she said, I want to tell you that when I was seven years old, a missionary came to our house. And he told the most wonderful story, uh, something I had never heard or even imagined could be tr true, could be, you know. And she said, I want you to know that even though I didn't tell you that day, I believed that day. And that today, my husband and I, the pastor of church, Baptist, Baptist pastor of Baptist church, and we're involved in missions. And, we, and, you know, and so she had talked with me. And it's really a blessing to see all those years later. You know, we sowed. Somebody else watered, surely. I mean, somebody else watered. Somebody else over the years as she was growing up. But God gave the increase. And there's fruit there. And her whole family, uh, her mother, she, she said, you know, my mother still has a picture of, uh, of you and Mary Lou and, and your two, two boys when they were little. It's one of her most prized possessions. She still has it to this day. And I found that picture, and we'd had some of them digitized, and I found it, and I sent it to her an email. I said, is this the picture you're talking about? She said, oh, that's it. I'll send it to my mother. She'll be so glad to see a better copy. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, you know, so here's these people, and then, Last fall in October, they were they, her and her husband had started a mission agency. Haven't seen anybody yet. It's an interdenominational uh, mission agency in based in Tegucigalpa now, and and they got a hold of me and they said, "Would you like to be one of the, you know to speak to, to do a workshop?" And you know she said, "Well, workshop on you know steps to sending a missionary." And I said, "Listen, Felicia." In my experience, we need to talk about mobilizing first. That's why we're laying this groundwork of mobilization. If you don't mobilize the congregations, the few missionaries that get sent out are the only ones that get sent out and out of sight, out of mind, because the church itself is not awakened to what, what God is calling the whole church to do. Missions is about the whole church, as you all know, not just about a few leaders or a missionary, somebody who feels that they need to go to work somewhere. It's not about working with people less fortunate than you. The one guy wrote me that. But he wanted to come down to Honduras and with his family. So had his children had the experience of working with someone less fortunate than them. And I thought, that's not missions. That's not missions. You know, Honduras is a very poor country. You go to our people in China are not working with people less fortunate with them than them economically. They're working with people who don't know Jesus. You know? So it doesn't matter whether they have money or not. People go to Spain, not working with people less fortunate economically. Well, anyway, so I took this picture. I had my, this picture taken. I didn't take it. And uh, Felicia is on the left. Yeah. Nemia is on the right. So Nemia is no longer taller than Felicia. <laughs> but uh, she, told, she told me when I got there, Felicia said, she said, Nemia is coming in. She lives up in the North Coast area. And, and she's coming in. She said she's coming to the conference, but I think she's coming to see you. <laughs> so, so we got a chance to talk. And, and, and uh, they'll be doing another missions conference this year. And they've asked me if I could also speak in that one. And... In Mexico, they'll be doing a mission conference, actually. So we'll be in Tuxtla Gutierrez, most likely, in June. And uh, one of the areas was Chiapas. A lot of unreached people groups in that area. A lot of difficulties with the gospel. And uh, 
So there's some churches there that are, that are getting involved in missions and want to be there. So anyways, it's just you don't know when you're sowing. We have to trust that when we sow, when we water, remember it's God who gives the increase. <coughs> Excuse me. And remember it's God who gives the increase. It's not about us. It's not about, I mean, it's really gratifying to find out something like this, but it's not a feather in my cap. You know, It's God who is faithful. It's God who is faithful. <coughs> and some of us sowed, some of us watered, and God gave the increase. Praise the Lord. Well, again, I just want to thank all of you for your constant prayers, <coughs> for your giving, not just to us, but for all the missionaries. TCF, I've talked to other missionaries that are TCF missionaries, and I see them. TCF is one of the most mission-minded churches that support us. They say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, we have churches that I encourage their missions committee. I say, I say, uh, <coughs> you know, pardon me, I say, have any of you done perspectives? Have any of you done, read a book like commission or Oh, perspective is such a big commitment. I said, yeah, but you're on the missions committee, you know. <laughs> Let's do, or, or you read a book, do something, you know, prepare yourself more for missions. Some churches, it's like it's, it's a program. It's not their way of life. And, and TCF, missions is, is way of life. You don't have a missions committee, right? You do? Okay. But you don't have a missions, pardon me, the whole church is your like, it's almost like the whole church here is the missions committee. Everybody knows about the missionaries. Everybody knows who they are. Everybody is involved, and that's a mobilized church. But we have to remember we have to keep, keep mobilizing. The children upstairs need to be mobilized because if they come down from upstairs to this later as they get older and haven't been mobilized, you know, inertia comes into play. <laughs> so we need to remember to mobilize. That's what happened with the, in the reason the Kairos course <laughs> works the way it does. Max Chisman, who was the instigator in Philippines, uh, of getting the course started with the commission, this course on world mission, uh, wrote uh, that now they've realized they mobilized the Philippine church, they sent out a bunch of missionaries, and they're having a hard time finding the next generation of missionaries because they thought that once the church got mobilized, it would stay mobilized. So they're refocusing on foundational groundwork mobilization remobilize the congregation and uh, to because out of the mobilized churches is where the people God is calling to go will come from. Well, like I said, thank you so very much. Let's, I have an idea. I think that would... <laughs> but i just like to invite you all to stand. Remember, you know, Jesus was, Jesus is the Messiah for all peoples. But he's also the Messiah that, gave, that commissioned all peoples. Everywhere there are believers, they have been commissioned to take the message to others that haven't heard. So, we prayed about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But let's, let's pray about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the unsent countries. So remember, when we pray for the unreached, we also need to pray for the unsent because it's the unsent that will be sent to the unreached. So let's just take a moment and say, you know, Lord, oh, it's such a, seems like sometimes it's a daunting task. 
but we know that it's your will, Lord, and it's your word, and you're going to perform it. Calling all of your church and all of the world to be responsible for all of the unreached. And Lord, we just pray that you would awaken the churches, mobilize the unmobilized, to send the unsent, Lord, so that the unreached can be reached. Lord, it's not about money. It's, it's not about logistics. It's about obedience and faithfulness. And we just pray, Lord, that you would awaken us and use us to awaken others. That use us to mobilize the mobilizers, Lord. The people that will move their churches and congregations and denominations to accomplish your worldwide purpose that each church and each person among the unsent nations can find the strategic place that the Holy Spirit has for them in in your plan, Lord. Lord, we just intercede for all those who are already feeling a call that sometimes they don't even understand. And I know so many in Honduras and they're uneasy, and they don't, but they can't see a way through. They can't see how they could ever go to the nations. And you know that, Lord. Lord, we pray that you will open a way, that you'll clear a path, that you'll awaken the church in Honduras and all of Latin America. And we know, Lord, that it's your will, it's what you want. For all of your people to be part of reaching all of the unreached. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.